Well, this morning we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper, and by way of preparation, I want to consider another supper. It was an uncomfortable supper. But then the original Lord's Supper with Jesus that he shared in the upper room before his death and resurrection was a little uncomfortable too. But the supper I have in mind is described in Genesis 43 as part of the Joseph story. Now, we don't have near enough time to read the entire Joseph story this morning, so let me refresh your memories by filling in um, uh, some background of this great portion of biblical history. The account of the Joseph story begins in Genesis 37. Joseph is the 17-year-old favorite of his uh, father, the patriarch Jacob. But, but Jacob's favoritism causes Joseph's 11 brothers um, to, um, to hate him. He was, a, he was a dreamer and someone immature and quite boastful. In fact, his brothers became so irritated and hateful that they decided one day to murder him. In the end, they, they didn't kill him, but they sold him as a slave to some Ishmaelite traders passing in a caravan down to Egypt. So it was that Joseph ends up in Egypt, a slave of Potiphar, a military officer. He's falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, or his lascivious wife, and ends up in prison. But in God's providence, and through a series of amazing events, um, and remarkable events, uh, he is eventually elevated by Pharaoh himself to a position of chief advisor and, and uh, executive. Uh, Joseph had become a great man. And his managerial skills enables Egypt to prosper even in the midst of famine. And then one day, ten men arrive from the north. Um, these are, in fact, of Joseph's brothers. Uh, they've been sent by their father Jacob, driven by the famine, to buy uh, some grain in Egypt. Um, but, uh, and who should they be sent to? But, but to the magnificent, powerful Joseph, second in command of all of Egypt. And they, they bow before him and make their request. They don't recognize Joseph as their brother. But Joseph recognizes them, and he wonders if they are still the same, if their hearts are still so hard and sinful as before when they heartlessly sold him and left him to a life of slavery and likely an early death. He determines to test them. He speaks to them harshly and terrifies them. He accuses them of being spies. Oh, oh no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. And they describe their family to him. But Joseph pretends not to believe them. But I think you are spies, he says. Uh, I think you've come to spy out the land. And, uh, and this is how I'll see if you're telling the truth. Uh, take grain home with you. I, I give it to you, but... One of you must return, uh, must rather remain as a prisoner, my hostage. You must return to Egypt and bring with you your youngest brother of whom you speak. And then I'll know you're telling me the truth. 
Well, the brothers return, <clears throat> their guilty, slumbering consciences suddenly awaken, prompting them to wonder if God was not paying them back for what they had once done to their brother in Egypt. Their father, Jacob, laments the loss of Simeon, the brothers left behind as hostage in Egypt, but he refuses them to return with his favorite youngest son, Benjamin. Eventually, however, the continuing pressure of famine and the need for more grain demands a return visit, and Jacob finally reluctantly agrees to send them back with Benjamin. They arrive and are brought before the mighty presence of Joseph. Which brings us to our text, which is found in Genesis 43, beginning at verse 24. Genesis uh, chapter 43, beginning at verse 24. Trying to make this. Ah, there it is. Okay. Oh, you'll do it. All right. <clears throat> so, let's read the text, beginning again at verse 24. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when they had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon. They had heard that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. <clears throat> and he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. And he said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. And then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brothers. And he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. And then he washed his face and came out, and controlling himself, he said, serve the food. And they served him by himself, and, then, uh, by, and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And he set before them the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were given to them from Jacob's table. But Benjamin's portion was five times as much as theirs. They ate and were married with him. <coughs> so this is the strange, uncomfortable supper that I referred to in my introduction. Strange and uncomfortable First, if you'll give me point A, uh, strange and uncomfortable 
uh, because they were being inexplicably singled out for attention by this grand and powerful person. He was the greatest man in Egypt who had power over them, inviting them to dinner, taking his time to sit down with them at this strange meal. Surely he didn't do this with everyone who came to him for help. Why? They were not even Egyptians. They were, they were foreigners. More than that, they were despised shepherds who the Egyptians would have nothing to do with whatsoever. Why then was this great man taking such personal interest in them, asking about their younger brother and the welfare of their aged father? Now, from Joseph's standpoint... Uh, he might have been a little uncomfortable too, for he was still alienated from his brothers as a result of their past wickedness. They had not been reconciled, of course. This separation um, <clears throat> or alienation is symbolized in the text by the separate tables. The Egyptians who wouldn't eat with the Jews ate at one table, and the brothers ate at another table, and Joseph at yet a third table. And, and finally, the dinner is uncomfortable for a third reason, caused by Joseph's strange and, and unpredictable behavior toward his brothers. They are unsettled by the personal and perceptive questions and knowledge that he seems to possess about them, seeing them in exact birth order. How could he have known such a thing? They're uncomfortable and confused by the special and tender affection that he shows to Benjamin, who was, in fact, Joseph's biological brother, blessing him and giving him five times as much food as the others. It was all very strange and unsettling, a strange, uncomfortable dinner. In fact, they probably drank too much and were told they made merry. Well, my second point... <coughs> Oh, we need B, thank you. Uh, so in very much the strange way, and, and a rather insane way, uh, the Lord's Supper, which we're about to, um, together to share, might seem to some a strange and uncomfortable ritual. And for some of the same reasons mentioned in the case of Joseph and his brothers. We all, like Joseph and his brothers, might well be uncomfortable when we consider we are eating in the presence of, of a great and holy Lord, far greater than Joseph, even God himself. If Joseph was awesome in his appearance and power in the sight of his brothers, how much more reason have we, brothers and sisters, uh, to fear a holy and powerful, truly powerful God, the second person of the Trinity, who is our judge and could righteously consign every one of us to an eternal prison? Or could send us fed and on our way with the eternal bread of heaven? Are we any less uh, guilty before Christ than Joseph's brothers? That we should sit before our holy Christ at this supper? Indeed, someone might feel uncomfortable at this supper because he feels estranged and alienated from God as Joseph and his brothers. You too may feel guilty and, and sinful and a little uncomfortable at this supper. You may know that your behavior toward the Lord God throughout the past week or, or month or years is, is such that it would hardly put you in a position to be very comfortable in the presence of the Holy Christ. 
You may recognize, like Joseph's brothers, that you have, so to speak, proudly rejected and sold the Lord Jesus down the river. That is, you've traded him away for your own pleasures, which you preferred, and your prejudices against him. Now here we are at church, and there's this ceremonial supper with bread and wine or juice, and <clears throat> the pastor speaks of Jesus in a very personal way as having given up his body and blood as a sacrifice for sin. <clears throat> and it all feels a little awkward and uncomfortable. You, you might even ask yourself, did he do this for me? Did Christ, for my sin, did Christ die for my sin? What am I doing here? After all, Joseph's personal knowledge of his brother is nothing compared to God's personal knowledge of each of you and me who knows us so well and our sin and our spiteful neglect and our treachery. Well, that brings us to point C where <clears throat> Joseph has, has been testing his brothers, of course, all along to discern the condition of their hearts, but there's there's one last important test. <clears throat> Joseph prepares for this by uh, sending his brothers home with grain that they had come for. But unbeknownst to them, Joseph had instructed his steward to hide his own silver drinking cup in Benjamin's sack. Maybe you remember this. Uh, the steward then, pretending to, pretending to know nothing about this, rushes after them and accuses them of stealing Joseph's cup. They deny it. Uh, far be it from your servant to do such a thing, they're protesting. Whichever of your, your servants is found with it shall, shall die, and, and we shall all be the Lord's servants. Well, uh, the servant, of course, searches the luggage and finds the planted cup, the planted evidence, in Benjamin's sack. And the brothers tear their clothes. However innocent they may have known themselves to be uh, in this present inexplicable instance of the cup, they are now convinced that God was judging them for their ancient guilt. And they are brought back before the wrathful Joseph who plays the part to the hilt, confronting them with their apparent theft. What is this? deed you have done. Don't you know a man like me can, can discern things by divination? What shall we say, my Lord? They miserably reply, God has found out the guilt of his servants. Thinking themselves not of the theft of the cup, but rather of the treatment of their brother Joseph years ago. God had finally caught up with them, they thought. Now, of course, Joseph knew exactly what they were thinking. For he had cleverly set up the whole operation so as to test them. He refuses to take them all as slaves. Far be it for me that I should do so, says Joseph. Uh, only the man uh, in whose hands the cup is, was found shall be my servant. The rest of you shall go back to your father in peace. Now, this was the greatest test. Would they heartlessly abandon Benjamin as they had once abandoned Joseph, who had cried out so piteously to them? Would they return to Jacob without his favorite son a second time? Would they selfishly put themselves first again? Or were their hearts so changed and less hardened than 20 years ago? 
Indeed, their repentance begins to show the fruit of change. And Judah, uh, the eldest brother, stands forward and offers himself as a slave in exchange for Benjamin. Let the boy return with his father, he says, for how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that was come upon my father. Well, more than this, Joseph could not have hoped for. God had so changed his brother's heart that they were now willing to give themselves up in the place of Benjamin. Judah makes the offer. Which ought to remind us, you and I, of the servant born of that same tribe, the Lion of Judah, even the sinless Christ, who offered himself for our transgressions and took our place, and became a sin, and a slave to sin, rather, and so bore our guilt that we might go free. Well, <clears throat> that brings us to my next point regarding reconciliation. Surely this is the most important part of the Joseph story, the reconciliation that follows. Joseph had brought his brothers to a place of repentance and graciously forgives them. Point A, Joseph has been greatly harmed by his brothers, of course, as, as a boy. They, they sold him heartlessly as a slave, spending many years in prison. They had lied to their father, Jacob. They lied to God. They, they covered their crime. But now, in God's providence, it had all caught up with them. Now, he had them in his grip. Joseph could easily have exacted retribution for their cruelty, and it would have been fair justice. Certainly, but instead, instead, he throws his arms around them and he delights to forgive them. In fact, he can hardly control himself. He is so in love at, with his, his brothers. He doesn't even dwell on the fact of their sin. They knew only too well what they had done. But hurries on to reassure them of his love and forgiveness and good intentions and even plans for them for the future. Indeed, he stresses how in God's sovereign providence the Lord had used their wickedness for his own glory and for their own relief and the salvation of, of, for, from the famine that was stalking the land. Now, Joseph's intent is not to deny his brother's guilt or responsibility. Indeed, he takes pains to devise these tests so as to stir up their conscience and bring them to repentance of what they had done. But now that a godly sorrow had gripped them, he wants to turn their eyes to see what God in his mercy had done for them all. How God had overruled their sin and brought about a great reconciliation and blessing. God also freely forgives, brothers and sisters. That's what I want you to leave with you this morning. That God was in Christ and he is in the business of reconciling sinners to himself. As Joseph uh, forgave his brothers and threw his arms around them, so God delights to save and to forgive. 
God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but sent his Son to save all who will humble themselves before him. What I'm saying to you this morning is this, that the Supper, the Lord's Supper, like the Supper with Joseph and his brothers, serves both as a test of our hearts, as an occasion for repentance, and a celebration of reconciliation. A test, a repentance, and a celebration of reconciliation. Now perhaps you also, like Joseph's brothers, in the third verse of the 45th chapter, are reticent. You may find it difficult to believe this gospel or offer you gracious offer of forgiveness. Perhaps you consider the Lord's Supper. As you think of it, you feel the weight of your sin and are wondering if you should even participate. Maybe just as Joseph manipulated his brothers to bring them to get a sense of their guilt, maybe in the same way, God is touching your conscience this morning over sin that you've never confessed to God or man. Maybe you've never even really confessed or committed your life to Christ and sought to be reconciled uh, for the breaking of his holy laws and betraying his only son. Indeed, the supper is not for unrepentant sinners. As such, it is an occasion for self-reflection. But know this. That Christ came not to save the righteous, but sinners. That God is not uncomfortable with sinners who have found supernatural grace to repent of their sin and their heartlessness and their foolishness towards his son. The Apostle Paul says, or John says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let me invite you this morning to the supper. Not a strange and uncomfortable supper at all for those who come to Christ in repentance and faith. It is all a a remembrance of the saving work of Christ for sinners, his body and blood shed to reconcile us to God. It is the promise and the blessing to God for all who will humble themselves and receive his Father love. And if you are uncomfortable and not altogether sure that you possess this faith, this, this faith, this grace of, of repentance, well, ask him. Ask him. Um, he is, after all, the giver of unmerited gifts of faith. If Joseph's brothers had, in fact, nothing to fear from Joseph. Certainly we have nothing to fear from our elder brother, the powerful Holy Christ, at the celebration of the supper. How sweet and remarkable is that. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the waters of life. Let's pray. Lord, our God, we thank you for this remarkable story that is filled with pictures of Christ, filled with, with redemptive analogies, filled with, Lord, your great uh, work of creative redemption throughout the ages. We thank you for the great apex, the great glory in the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Indeed, the one 
who gave himself for us, even as Judah was given for his brothers. So, Lord God, we, we thank you for this reminder. We thank you for the suffering that causes us to, uh, to reflect, causes us to repent, causes us to rejoice. We ask your grace to each one and ask it in Christ Jesus' name, amen. Amen.